In your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 11. Verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. Speak now in the ears of the people, and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these thy servants shall come down unto me, and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out, and all the people that follow thee, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. One more plague. We've had nine. We come now to the last plague. Except you'll note in your Bibles that the word more is in italics. It's not in the Hebrew. Whenever you see that as good Bible readers and good understanders of Scripture, then you should read it to yourself without that italicized word and see if it throws any greater light on the passage. So if we would do that, notice the Lord says, yet I will bring one plague upon Pharaoh. Now more is there, it's implied, and your authorized version translators have put it in there for smoothness and readability. And yet we, they, they left it in italics so we would do that work. Some, you know, some translations of the Bible don't do that. They don't put those italicized words in there. So you don't know if there is a word that's been added for smoothness or readability. Well, may I say it this way? If you read it without the more, doesn't it give a greater impression or doesn't the interpretation understanding of it tend toward this one plague will swallow up all the other plagues for severity? Is, and isn't that the case? 
this one plague will swallow up all the other plagues for severity. And I think that's true. I think that if more is in there and we don't do that work, we're going to miss that. Let's try to put ourselves in Pharaoh's court for a moment. So Moses is, and I believe he is speaking before Pharaoh. He's still in the presence of Pharaoh. One plague will I bring, the Lord says. Every firstborn in every house of every man and beast will die. Beloved, that is unimaginable. Just stop and think about that. Don't think of it as, oh yeah, another plague. Don't do that. Think about the, about the greatness of this plague. What, happen, what would happen in Wiley if something like that took place? Or in Dallas? All the land of Egypt. The plague extends to your pets, to your farm animals, to your children. Not one house in Egypt is spared. Not one house. There are simply not enough morticians to take care of such a problem as that. Think about the logistics, the trouble, the trial, and then think about the grief and the loss. Oh, beloved, this is a plague to end all plagues. Right? Yet one plague will I bring upon Egypt. One plague. All of the other sorrow and difficulty and trouble and affliction will be swallowed up in this last plague. So, afterwards, he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. So then, there's some preparatory work that the people of God are told to do. What is it? They are told to borrow. And the word borrow is not the best translation. It's to receive. To receive from the Egyptians gold and silver and precious stones. This is what's called spoiling the Egyptians. Now let's make sure, because this phrase has been perverted in our, in our current day. We want to make sure and get this right. What did they spoil them of? Gold, silver, and precious stones. Remember what the Lord was doing in that. The Lord was enriching the people of God. It happens here and then it happens also on Passover night when they're departing. Because the Egyptians are seeking favor. Because they're saying we're all dead men. If the firstborn has died, there's nothing that can stop the rest of us from dying. So they're seeking favor in the eyes of the Israelites. So they give them gold and silver and precious stones on their way out. The Lord was enriching them so they'd have something to build the the tabernacle with. That's what the Lord was doing, right? Okay, you'll hear men like uh, Lawrence Crabb, who was a, uh, a, you know, a few decades ago, the founder of of a Christian counseling movement. And he had a, he had an understanding that we could take Freud and Adler and Maslow and other sorts of of uh, psychological, uh, godless research and make use of that research in our biblical counseling. That would be, he said, like spoiling the Egyptians. Okay? 
No, that's not like spoiling the Egyptians. That's like taking their worldview. Taking their gold and silver and precious stones is a lot different from taking their worldview from their paradigms of thought. It's a lot different than that, beloved. Spoiling the Egyptians here are taking their inert goods by which they built the tabernacle and its appurtenances that they might hold that feast to the Lord later on as the Lord commanded them. Okay, so that's it's pretty important that we remember that and bring that up. He, he called those of us who would use the Bible alone as our method of counseling, he called that nothing buttery. Right? Nothing but the Bible. Oh, that's nothing buttery. That's what he called that. Lord's crap. And then he said, we're going to spoil the Egyptians. I'd much, ha- I'd much rather be ridiculed by a man then called to account by God for imbibing in broken paradigms of thought. Right? Okay, so let's remember that. So the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, verse 3. And notice also, not just the, not just the people, but Moses. All this time, Moses, the meekest man upon the face of the earth, Numbers will, 12 will tell us. While Pharaoh thought to, to, um, to consolidate and to expand his authority, and to fight against God. Moses, the meekest man upon the face of the earth, had said, Oh Lord, I am not eloquent. I can't go before Pharaoh. I'm I'm slow of speech. Finally, notice what happens. He that, what? Humbles himself shall be exalted. And he that exalts himself shall be humbled. And so Moses is very great in the eyes, not only of... uh, of the Egyptians, but all of the people and their servants in Pharaoh's court, everyone. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, this is when he's back in, in Pharaoh's court, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt. All the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon the throne, even to them that's behind the mill, and the firstborn of beasts, and there will be a great cry. So verses 5 and 6 Notice that Pharaoh was fairly warned. Pharaoh was fairly warned. Remember what the Lord did in speaking to Pharaoh. He said, let my people go that they may serve me. They're not your servants, they're mine. Pharaoh thought to keep that grip on his authority. And notice what happens now in verse uh, six and seven, the Israelites will be separated from the Egyptians. More on that this afternoon, Lord willing. But notice verse eight, and all these thy servants shall come down unto me and bow down thyself, bow down themselves unto me, saying, "Get thee out." Pharaoh, not only will you not be able to keep the Israelites as your servants, you won't be able to keep your own servants as your servants. They will come and bow themselves down to me. Moses says. Certainly, that would strike Pharaoh at his inmost idol, wouldn't it? What is the Lord doing? Not only is he tearing down the idols of Egypt, but he's tearing down Pharaoh's idols as well. And yet, notice, without the softening influences of God's grace, that Pharaoh will remain hard even though the Lord has struck him at his deepest 
and most valued idol. His own authority as king. So then, notice that Moses went out from Pharaoh in great anger. Why do you think Moses was angry? Well, he was angry with Pharaoh for hardening his heart. He has been warned that one person in every family is about to die. And yet, he remains intransigent. (coughs) He remains intransigent. Unmovable. Sorry, if you don't know that word. Intransigent. Unmovable. He remains hard. And so then, notice... He went out from Pharaoh in great anger. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. In every calamity then, we must remember this is not a natural disaster, not some strange disease. This cannot be blamed on anything except the finger of God as Pharaoh's servants said before. The firstborn in every house. And so, verse 10 closes up the chapter then. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. And I will remind you what what hardening Pharaoh's heart means. It's simply that God did not spread abroad upon him those sweet influences of grace that would otherwise have softened him. Did the Lord know that was hardening Pharaoh's heart? Absolutely he did, yes. Did the Lord in that sense harden Pharaoh's heart? Absolutely he did, yes. But he does so in perfect uprightness. He does so in perfect holiness. He's not tempting Pharaoh to sin. No, that is all on Pharaoh. The sinfulness, as we've read in our chapter on providence, the sinfulness proceeds from the creature. Pharaoh hardened his heart and the Lord withheld his softening graces that would have turned Pharaoh had the Lord chosen to turn him. The Lord chose instead to raise him up to reveal his mighty power in him, as the Bible tells us. With that then, let's continue.